Julian, is, uh, we had a sound issue. Thank you, CL34. Um, hopefully that's better. Well, I'll start from the beginning and I'll edit this later. But Julian Dragomir began his professional career with Benefica Academy in Lipson after being scouted as a club player in Phoenix, Arizona, out of the Santos organization. After many years of Benefica Academy, Julian signed with the Romanian club. After his time in Europe, Julian returned to the U.S. to play for the Real Salt Lake Academy in Casa Grande in Arizona and ultimately started his college career at Yavapai College. And he was number three in the country in assists with 14 and 11th in the country in goals with 19 and helped his team win the conference title in 2012. After two years with Yavapai, he went on to play for UNLV Rebels, and now he's the director of coaching for uh, Playmakers. Julian, welcome to the show again. Sorry about the sound. And now they can hear. Yeah, Dang. Thank you for having me. It's a live show. <laughs> it's, all right. So um, I brought you on because uh, I'm intrigued about anyone that came out of the Santos organization and got into youth development. How, how, we'll start from the beginning. When you grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, are you originally from Phoenix? Yep, born and raised. Okay, so born and raised in here, and ultimately you played for the uh, Santos organization. How, how many years were you with Santos? Uh, I was there for about three, four years. And who's your main coach, Luis Dabo? Luis Dabo and Mariano Albano Yep, um, were the two main ones, and also Coach Stryker was there at the same time as well. All right. Oh, yeah, Stryker Aguilar. Was Stryker coaching at the time? Yeah, he was yeah. coaching at the time. Yeah, I'm striker played for Phoenix College in 94 with me. Um yeah, we're old and how old are you now? I'm just uh I'm 30 now. I'll be oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. All right. I think I'm 48 coming up in June. Um I always forget when you get in your 40s you forget. You don't want to know cuz 50 is around the corner. Um so Julian, uh, what what was Santos like? Explain to us what um training was like what was your experience and how was the development within santos yeah i'm actually going to go back a little bit to kind of explain the reason why i went to santos uh, instead of you know being in different clubs so i actually began my uh playing career for blackhawks or you know now it's phoenix rising uh under uh chris brown and mcgravy uh, actually were my coaches at the time uh won the first state championship there uh stayed there for a second year then ended up moving on to Sereno, which, you know, back right. then was a huge powerhouse. Uh, like I said, all throughout every age group. Um, won two state champion, three state championships there. Um, but what I really figured out at the end of it was that my development had been hindered um, through the process. And, and me and my dad had this conversation, and we, we constantly do. Um, even though I won all those, you know, state titles and championships and stuff like that, at the age of 12, 13 years old, I couldn't juggle the ball more than 15 times. But, you know, small world that I found, um, uh, you know, Luis Dabo and Santos over in, in, you know, central Phoenix area, um, right behind Christown Mall. But like I said, so I actually, after winning those state championships, I actually made a move to play for Santos. And Santos didn't even actually have a team there for my age group. I was born in 93. So they never had a team. So... Yep. Well, go ahead. No, I, I was, I said, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my dad was like, are you sure that you want to do this? And I said, yes. He's like, you know, you, there's no team to play with. He says, I said, that's okay. So I attended training sessions and I actually played with the 89s over there. So that's where I started my career at, but I didn't get very many minutes. So I played about four years up at that time. Okay. And how many nights a week did you train? Four at a minimum. Like I said, five was, you know, pretty normal standard. And then, you know, showing up for games and, you know, obviously not getting the minutes, just kind of sitting there, but waiting my turn for that, uh, for the opportunity to get on the field. So uh, what was training like? Uh, start from the very beginning of uh, when you were arriving to practice, what was that like? And go through the whole thing. Like I have an idea cause I, I did Santos for a summer and uh, it seemed very consistent uh, and familiar from when I trained to seeing it as a, a dad because I brought my son to Santos as well. So what, what, what was practice like uh, at Santos? 
So, I mean, first of all, you know, very disciplined, you know, organization that, you know, Louis Sabo ran a really tight ship, you know, shirt had to be tucked in, black shoes, haircuts behind the ears, no earrings, no piercings, nothing, no mohawks. Um, but pretty much you would walk in, your parents stay outside of the, the gated, gated area. You walk in, you uh, greet the coaches, you shake each of their hands, you put your bags down, and then you get, you get, you get to practice. Um, is that pretty standard from what, what you did? Yes. And so you would, um, I remember immediately you're touching the ball, you're dribbling the ball. So uh, how many touches do you think you got when you initially, after you did your introductions with the coaching staff and, um, went through that process and then you got to the ball, how many, what was that like? (laughs) It's too many to count. Honestly. I mean, they would put you in probably a 30 by 30 box. Um, you know, all age groups, you know, probably about a hundred kids from, you know, five years old, four years old, all the way to 18 years old. Um, and right then and there, you, you'd be dribbling around in this box and it was chaos. There was hundred kids in there. And what they're asking you to do is, is on the whistle to, to make some kind of move inside cut, outside cuts, uh, stopping the ball with the inside of the foot, body feints moving. Um, and that was for, that was every single day for about an hour. Sometimes, depending on the day, it could be two hours. Of just touching the ball in tight spaces. Tight spaces. Uh, if you ran into each other, you would have push-ups. Um, so it really taught you to kind of keep your head up, head on a swivel. Um, like I said, it was it was a quite an experience. I can tell you that. And then after you did your initial warm-up, then it followed up with small-sided games. Yeah. I, uh, typically, like I said, it was small sided games. Um, like I said, I, I kind of went to coach Dabo a little bit later. So, uh, when we would break up into team training and stuff like that, it was mostly receiving and passing the ball. So he would pretty much have a 20 by 20 grid. He split you up into three teams. You pass the ball and it was two touches. If the ball bobbled, if you didn't hit it properly, if someone wasn't moving, you're out next teams in. And it's a constant motion. So whatever mistake that you guys made as a, as a group, you guys would be sitting out doing push-ups instead. Oh, geez. <laughs> now, is it, what I remember, so Luz Dabo coached me when I was at Sand Sharks as well. And fitness was very important. Yes. And I remember every time we went to warm up, we would run, we're at the soccer locker, we would run. And we didn't know when the clock was going to start. And he would we'd just be like, we're running for like 10, 15 minutes in a circle, waiting for him to hit the clock. And then he would hit it. And then we had to run for 30. So you play these mind games to test us. And it always ended up with the dead sprint by the end. Then we got the ball. Then we uh, did a uh, stretching. Um, but I was fit. There's, I was definitely fit. But um, wh- wh- what kind of fitness did you guys do? Oh, my gosh. I mean... There was days that we didn't even touch the ball. Um, like I said, he would hand us this. It looked like a, a kitchen timer. Um, like I said, that you'd, you know, using like for baking cakes and stuff like that. And he would hand it to somebody and says, go ahead and run. It either had tw- 12 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes on it. Then you would go, you run your laps um, at, a, at a good sturdy pace, I, would, I could honestly say. But then you would finish, you'd get a sip of water, and he'd hand it to you again. So some days it could be the first hour of training was just running and then you go into your ball work or sometimes it was two hours of just straight fitness. Um, that's just one portion that we, that we endured. Uh, another one was bungees. So we, we used to be strapped up to bungees, two people holding you, one string on each, and you would be running, running as hard as you can to catch a ball, right? Touching the ball, coming back, pushing again. Uh, side shuffling, backpedaling. Um, that was another one. Uh, a big one that we did was we went to, I believe it was f- uh, 59th Avenue in Thunderbird. There's a huge hill. Um, it's like in a wash, and you, we yeah. used to run. He took us there too. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what the name of the park was, but we used to run all the way up it. Then we come back down. Um, and then, like I said, sometimes we would do it with bungees. Sometimes we would have to put somebody on our back and we'd carry them up and down multiple times. Um, we did that one. What else did we do? We went to, um, there was a hiking trail over on, uh, 7th, 7th and, um, where is it? Dunlap maybe. 
I think it was like a, it was some kind of hiking trail. And we used to run up that all the time as well. Sprints, carrying people on our back, bungees, um, like I said, the whole nine. So what about games? All right. So you're, you're in a game. What, what, what was that environment like? I, I remember watching Luis Davo coach and I didn't hear him say anything. Uh, how did, how did that go? There wasn't a lot of instruction given. Um, like I said, went on the field. He wouldn't tell you anything. Uh, he would just let you play. Whether you made mistakes or you didn't make mistakes, he wouldn't, he wouldn't say anything. But there are certain circumstances where he would pull you off to the side in the middle of the game. So imagine intense game, 0-0, 1-1, whatever it is, state cup final, doesn't matter, right? He'd pull you to the side and tell you to look him straight in the eyes, turn your back to the whole entire game, and then he would give you an instruction. And he asked me, why are you flustered? Why are you, you know, why are you upset? Why are you not concentrated? And then, like I said, we would have a full-blown conversation for about a minute or two, and then he would tell me to turn around and start running onto the field. So instruction didn't really come a lot from him, which, like I said, I don't know. I thought it was actually a good thing. Um, it kind of just let me be a, a creative and free-thinking player at all times. Because so. yeah, ultimately, it is your test. And what kind of restraint Luis Dabo had to be able to do that um, to – give information at halftime or before or at practice because the game is the test. And, you know, I obviously I've, I've coached a lot in youth uh, since retired a second time, but um, <laughs> it's hard not to say anything because if you don't say anything, then you have the pressures of the parents that are speaking on your behalf and they're not understanding the system. I rem- I know Lewis would, if a parent was coaching from the side or from the sideline, he would pull that player out and say, go s- sit with your parents because they're coaching you apparently. Have you ever, did you ever witness any of that happen? Uh, I did a few times. Uh, I mean, I know a particular instance where, where it did happen. Um, and like I said, the, the kid was pulled off the field and the parent was asked to leave as well. So the kid got his stuff and left right then and there in the middle of a game. Um, but like I said, he, he set a lot of ground rules right from the get-go and he, he was a no-nonsense guy. I mean, yeah. if, if you were to do something like that, you know the re- repercussions right away. So he would tell you just to leave. And comment, let us know, are you, uh, are you a parent or a past player that um, got ridiculed by Luis Dabo by being removed from the game and sent on with your parents? I would like to meet you. I would like to have you on your podcast and see how you felt. And by the way, I'm 100% in support of that. So um, you're, you're now coaching, Julian. You're, you're with the Playmakers organization. What, what did you take from um, your background of being with Santos and brought with you within the Playmakers? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I started Playmaker Football Academy. Uh, this is going to be our fourth year coming. Um, and the main reason was just to kind of be free-flowing and allowing players to actually develop inside of a, a good setting. Um, like I said, the methodology that we brought to it was a lot of Luis Dabo and, and Coach Mariano, and I'm sure you know Coach Stryker implements it as well at, at Excel. But um, like I said, biggest thing that we I feel that you know we in Arizona, not just Arizona, uh, are lacking is is technical development, right? Just constant technical development, moving off of the ball, um, checking awareness, but what we implement at Playmaker is, is something very similar uh, to what Luis Dabo did implement inside of his system. Uh, we just kind of modernized it because not every single person wants to dribble in the box for an hour or two hours every single night. And also at that time, you do have those pressures from parents being like, what is my kid doing? We're supposed to be learning soccer. And right. they don't really understand necessarily that that is one of the best teachers of the game and it's a proven method for many years as you could see so many players that came through the Santos system um, that are so successful in, in the game even if you go watch you know men's leagues now still have it everyone from Santos was technically uh, proficient so when I grew up playing for the sand sharks I was uh, sand sharks um, shamrocks I was with the shamrocks then I was with Cisco, and I finished with Cisco. But when I was with the Shamrocks, and even with Cisco, anytime we got a Santos player, we didn't even know who they were. 
we just heard, hey, someone from Santos is coming to practice. Like they're going to def- defect and, and come to our club. We all knew, oh, good. They're gonna, we get a technical player because they were all technical. And it was fascinating to, you know, now being at the age I am now and looking back, I'm like, that was the only club you could say that. Every one of them was going to be technical. And that's what we loved about him. I, mean, I remember playing with Ryan Berry, Kevin uh, Berry. Ryan Berry ended up playing with the Bandidos, and he came from Santos, and they won four region titles, and um, they went to the Nationals, I think, three of the four times because the first year they won it, they like U12, and they didn't go to Nationals back then. Um, uh, Kevin Berry, who, who – uh, uh, played with me at Salem. He he's from Santos, and he was an unbelievable player. Went Division One. I, I mean, Ryan played Division One at Yale. Kevin Berry played Division One at um, shoot, I would forget. Kevin watches the show. I forget where uh, school you went to, Kevin. But um, he went to a Division One school back Marquette. Got it, Marquette University. And I can name drop so many players from Santos. Uh, that went on to play Division One, or went to the Olympics or national team, professional soccer. I mean, it's so many from this small club that really doesn't exist anymore. So now that the only thing that exists within what Luis Dabo implemented from a foundation are the playmakers, Excel Soccer Academy. Is there anyone else out there? Is that pretty much it? Santos still does have a program running, um, and they have some talented players inside of their group right now. Uh, where, where, are they, where are they based? I don't, I'm not exactly sure. Um, like I said, there had been somebody that had had taken over um, Jorge, and um, I'm trying to think of the the other gentleman's name. Him and his son uh, ended up starting to or trying to kind of recreate the the program again. Uh, they don't have very many teams right now, um, but I think that they're they're slowly getting teams as well. But even me and I had this just knowing of Santos and understanding what they went through when I, when I started um, Arizona Hammers or Palm Valley Soccer League Arizona Storm and then became Hammers I, I would I, I copy what Lewis did I went I went five days a week uh, the traditional they go five days a week I think they had Sundays off maybe <laughs> and then um, I was training the all my teams and mainly the 96 Hammers five days a week dribble for an hour I would ju- I just tra- change dribbling to make it a little more creative versus just cut 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 cut. I was doing like reverse step over sideways step overs, trying to indoctrinate them in a, in a way they would still want to dribble when they get home. Um, so I I brought a street soccer component to it, and it was you know because of the hard work and effort we became a, a ridiculously good team without having to recruit. I just took what I got. And uh, because of the effort we put in, we became an amazing team. At any given day, we could beat anybody because we kept the ball. We relied on taking touches on the ball to escape pressure, to dictate the pace of the game. But it was all from Luis Dabo. I just knew he had something and I wanted it, mainly because I wasn't a technical player. And if only I had that, if I grew up in Santos, I would have been national team because I was so athletic. But I didn't have the skill to go to the next level. Um, that was what I was missing, but no one, everyone went to Luis Dabo's training. It was like, okay, what is it? All we're doing is cutting. And I'm like, what is this? But it works. If you put mindless hours into it, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's important. How many days do you guys train at Playmakers? Uh, we're currently at four as well. Um, like I said, we, we play four days a week. They're two-hour training sessions just like Coach Dabo did. Um, and like I said, they pretty much are playing uh, multiple games every weekend. So sometimes, you know, two games on Saturday, sometimes Saturday, Sunday. So overall, I would say that we're probably close to six days a week, majority of the weekends. Do you think um, your ability to um, teach technique, like what's your – go-to move do you have that or it's just more of reaction to the game what's kind of your your secret to success with uh you know being a uh unbelievable uh uh college player to you know now trend transitioning to coaching what, what what are you giving to the players from your technical aspect like I said I think it's it's more hours on the ball more than anything I think that's the the secret that we give is the re- repetitions 
Um, like I said, as a player, I wasn't very technical as well. Um, but like I said, I could do everything. I could do anything that you've asked. But the thing is, is because I spent so many hours, so many minutes uh, touching the ball constantly, left foot, right foot, you know, soul, um, anything that you can imagine, like I said, coach would come up with. Um, but like I said, biggest thing that I think the secret is, and, and like you said, it, there was no secret. It was just the amount of time that people actually put in and spend with the ball. It's the most important part. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that I, I actually learned a lot of my technique um, when I started coaching five days a week. And because I was forced to demonstrate, you know, basically three to four hours a night, and then I developed a crazy technique. Everyone thinks I was a technical player. I wasn't. Like, I'm crazy technical right now, and I'm 47, 48, whatever I am. And it's because of all the work I did at age 30 to, like, 45, just technical training nonstop. Because I, I wanted to give back what I didn't have, which was that technical aspect. So um, if you... Uh, if you're going to uh, give the a one opportunity to someone to develop their game, would it be just manipulating the ball nonstop? I mean, what, what more can your players do? If you already have them for two hours, are you encouraging them to train more, like with the ball at home? Or Yes. Um, like I said, I think that what people don't understand about this game um, is that once you put in the two hours at, at practice, it's not enough, right? My dad said something super important to me as a kid, and it, it resonates me till this day, is that, you know, because my goal always was to be a professional soccer player, and which I did accomplish. But as a kid, my dad said, how many hours a week do you train? I said, I don't know, what, 12? He's like, well, there's somebody out there that's training 20, 30, 40 right, in Brazil, in England, in Italy, in Spain. Um, so like I said, do I ever tell kids not to go home and, and practice what they're doing? Absolutely not. Like I said, I think that's that's another uh, key to success in this game um, for the youth level is to make making sure that not only what they are doing at the practice, but they're taking it home and they're doing some kind of homework with it. Where's your name come from? Where's Dragomir from? So both my mom and dad are, are born in Romania. Okay. So you're familiar with Banat? I am very familiar with Banat. So Banat is a region, right, mm -hmm. of, of Romania? Because John Rosanna played on Banat Arsenal um, in adult league where we won the Food City Tournament <laughs> twice or three times. But we won Bug Cup, which was a big deal in amateur adult league. Of course. But... Um, your parents, uh, so what kind of influence do they have on you? They love the game, obviously, being from that part of the world. Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, like I said, both my parents enjoyed the game. Um, like I said, my, my, my dad wasn't actually a soccer player growing up. He, he ran track. He ran professional track in Romania um, and, and was national champion of Romania and had the opportunity to go to the Olympics for it as well. So he... What, what event? Uh, he was 3,000-meter steeplechase. Oh geez. Yeah. So he was he was a he was a good runner. He can escape the police. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, um, like I said, the the support that they brought to me, like I said, I tried every single sport. Right. I tried baseball. My dad, you know, wasn't a big fan of it. He wouldn't come and watch me play um, necessarily because he, like I said, I, he couldn't watch baseball. Right. It was too slow for him. It didn't have anything. Um, super exciting. Uh, my mom would be the one pretty much driving me on the weekends because my dad was working as well. Um, but like I said, it was just kind of a, a family environment that we constantly would, you know, be a part of was soccer growing up. I mean, to watching like four or five Premier League games every Saturday or Sunday uh, when I didn't have games uh, with my dad every weekend. So um, like I said, that's how I kind of adopted it as well. Did, um, did, did you guys ever watch as a family, the World Cup, Champions League, or anything like that, was it in your home? Oh, yeah. Every single time, like I said, uh, Champions League, World Cups. Um, like I said, once again, on the weekends, we'd watch the the Premier League like crazy, Man United, Arsenal. That was when Thierry Henry was playing, uh, when Cristiano Ronaldo was still at Manchester United. Um, like I said, we would watch La Liga. We would watch, uh, like I said, 
what's it called? The Italian leagues. We Serie A as well. Anything that we could find on TV, we'd probably, like I said, we'd spend from, you know, six o'clock in the morning until, you know, two, three o'clock in the afternoon, just watching games. So I noticed in, in the States with, you know, a lot of, um, kids I, I would come across uh, training, I would ask them questions. Did you watch this game? Or what? They're like, no. Um, how, how do you get those that you uh, work with to watch the game more? Um, I give them homework, right? I, th- I think, uh, like I said, what we do as a club is we make sure that the kids are, are watching, you know, at least 30 minutes of, of a game um, if possible. It's a little bit difficult because of the schooling, but if they can go home and watch it on the weekends and whatnot, I think that's super important. Um, but also, like I said, when playing the ball into a, a scrimmage or a game or an exercise, what I do ask is, you know, who scored, you know, in the Man City versus Real Madrid game? Who, you know, what's, uh, you know, what was the score? So to make sure that people are paying attention and, and actually watching. And now it's become a giant conversation within certain age groups that, you know, they're like, hey, did you watch, you know, Kevin De Bruyne score this goal? Um, against Arsenal and, and so on and so forth, which is, like I said, what we want here. And what, what I've done as a father, I would, I would indoctrinate my kids into the game. So I would, every, every time there's a Champions League game, you know, in say the, a, a good matchup in bracket play or, or the uh, knockout stages, I would take them out of school and we'd go to the Georgian Dragon. So going to their school saying, Hey, they're leaving with dad. Cause, and they're like, where are we going? We're going to go watch some soccer. And they loved it. And that's what kind of now my son, especially Jack, he's like freaking out, you know, when Bar- he's a big Barcelona fan, it, he's like, can I get, can I get out of school? I'm like, no, you can't get out of school. You're like, or he, so many absences behind. We, we, we get notices all the time <laughs> saying he's not going to, he's not, he's going to be held back cause he's missed so much school but it, a lot of it's because of soccer so we we would just shank him out or let him stay home because there's a big soccer game but he knows more than i do he watches way more than i do but i was an indoctrinated i was nba nfl kind of thing so um and i encourage that julian uh you should do a whole club wide one time a year take your kids out of school day some local place that will have it on and typically it's Champions League game, you know, it's always on a Tuesday or Wednesday and uh, get them out of school. It's actually funny that you say that. We've already done it. Oh, yeah? So we, uh, for the World Cup, um, like I said, USA was playing and we have like a local place kind of closer to, you know, the area. And we we told every single person come out right from the club. And we had a large showing of parents and and players show up for uh, USA playing in the World Cup. I believe it was against Wales and it was, it was unbelievable. Like I said, the people from the, the local, you know, pub that we were at, which was local Patron, um, they couldn't believe how many kids were there and parents were there just watching and, and enjoying themselves. Now we have, um, the women's world cup is coming up. I don't even know what time the game's going to be, what the time frames are. Cause it's in, where's the women's world cup. That's uh, it's in middle East, isn't it? Somewhere. I'm actually, I know. actually not sure. I'm Comment. Let us know if you know where the Women's World Cup is being held and what the time difference is going to be. Um, I know Jordan Dragon. I don't know if they'll be open for the women's, but you never know. Um, we need to find a place for it. I think it's going to be very interesting with the, the U.S. I think the rest of the world is catching up quickly, and uh, it's going to be an interesting World Cup for us. Let's see if we can three-peat, but we'll find out soon. Of course, we have old woman Megan Rapinoe. You know, she's, she's back in the world cup somehow, um, which is strange. It is, well, Zach Brennan says, Pedri, is that a place? Is that a nickname of yours? I don't know. Pedri from Barcelona, maybe. Oh. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe. My son would know. So Australia and New Zealand is where it's being played. Uh, Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. You letting us know. Um, back to the show. Back to um, Julian from Playmakers. So Julian, uh, you've been with Playmakers for four years now. Uh, what what age groups are you guys are typically uh, dealing with at this time? And um, 
how does someone contact playmakers to be able to get a tryout or an opportunity? How's it work with your organization? Will you take anybody or how's it work? So when we first started the club four years ago, um, like I said, the, the group of boys that we had coming in was, was a group of uh, players from uh, different clubs, uh, but they were on third teams and fourth teams in every single age group. Um, like I said, that never had the opportunity to progress within the system because, you know, other clubs, um, like I said, kind of held them back and didn't feel like that they had the talent. But like we talked about, the, the Luis Dabo method was, you know, like I said, we will take anybody. And what we did is we've taken that team, um, you know, to, to very, very high, um, you know, standards now where they're you're beating ECNL teams and EA teams. They just won the U14 State Cup, which was actually in Luis Dabo's name in honor of him um, this year. Um, like I said, so they've, they've done fantastic. And that was your first state title? Yes, this is our first state title this year. And so anyone can join your organization, not be placed on team, but at least be within your organization and train, Correct. which is rare. I don't know if anyone's doing that. I don't, um, know. I don't even think Excel's doing that, um, which is pretty cool. So anyone can come join your organization uh, and just train, you know, get registered and, and train, and then hopefully one day get good enough to be able to make one of the teams. Is that how it works? Of course, yeah. So, so they get four days? Okay. Yeah. And they, they find you at playmakers.com or what's yeah. your playmakerfootballacademy.com? Um, or like I said, they can always email at playmakerfootballacademy at gmail.com. Um, we do have age groups 2018s is the youngest that are starting all the way to 2008. Um, like I said, we have only one girls team right now, which is a 2009 girls team, but we're working on, on implementing a, a girls program as well. Um, it seems like it's a little bit more difficult than, than most. So how do you go about selecting coaches, which, you know, it's, it's hard to do, you know, bringing in coaches that kind of have their own ideas. So how do they get through kind of like convince you that they'll be able to hold up your standards? Um, a, a lot of it is, is making sure that they, um, first of all, have, have uh, experience in the game, um, a knowledgeable background. Um, but like I said, most of our coaching staff actually is a part of, you know, former Santos players, about three, four of them out of out of six or seven um, are all Santos players from back in the day. But also, you know, talking to, you know, player or sorry, talking to coaches and, and asking them what their methodology is like, um, if they're le uh, welcome or if they are open to learning a new methodology, which, like I said, we talk about the, the Luis Dabo methodology as well. Um, if they are interested in doing something like that, um, then, like I said, we can bring them in and start to, to, you know, train them and help them to kind of see the vision that we do have. And you guys are based in Scottsdale. Where do you guys train at? Typically at Scottsdale Sports Complex. So you're at Scottsdale Sports Complex, and you're able to get that place four days a week? Yep. Wow. I don't know how difficult it is. There, there's coaches uh, out there that live in Scottsdale or from Santos. Ryan Turner's out there. Uh, he played at Notre Dame mm -hmm. from Santos. There's another one I didn't even name, but not, he. I think his daughter was playing at Rush, and he was just kind of a parent helping a uh, little bit. But I talked to him, shoot, a couple years ago, and I knew he was frustrated because, like, he remembers what he was going through. He wasn't seeing the same thing. So, he, you know, he's kind of just worrying about his daughter. But uh, Ryan Turner, uh, Playmakers, was right by you. Um, and then, uh, Ryan Barry, but he's too busy being a, a lawyer. Kevin Barry's out there as well. It, it, what was the, remember there was Trink Talk. Remember Trink Talk Soccer Club? Maybe that was before you. Yeah, I think it was before. So Trink Talk was a organization that, um, I think split off from Santos or, or kind of merged in and kind of split, but Trink Talk was part of Santos as well. That was with um, Joash Dukes, Dukes, I believe. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he was kind of from Trintock, but it was the same system, same kind of players. Uh, they develop a lot of talent over there. Um, the uh, Going back to kind of the, the playmakers mentality, so how, how do you, what do you do in game situations 
where you're, you have control of what you guys do and what your parents, how they behave. But when you deal with the opposition, that's just out of control, just creating an, an environment of crazy. Like, I have a short temper. Like when I'm out there, I'm just so sick of it that I would scream at the coach to shut up. You know, they talk so much and say so many weird things. And I'm not, recommend you be anything like me because um, it gets very confrontational. What? How do you deal with that? Or you just kind of like bite your lip? Do you ever talk to the opposition? Um, but it, are you seeing what I see? It's absolute nuts. Like they have to win in, in some league in Arizona. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, very um like i said it's it's interesting to watch and i think it's only gotten worse over the years to see you know opposition you know coaches you know players and 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 some of the stuff that comes out of coaches mouths you know um like i said they're kind of joysticking the players at every moment in time which is that real development because they're winning games um i mean i i question it all the time um like i said how i deal with it is i I just make sure that my players that I, i have you know let's say control of, right, are, are keeping keeping their heads, making sure that they're implementing the same style and system and, and remaining calm under pressure. Um, I think that's the most important part. And like I said, there's games that we, we do very, very well in. Um, and like I said, there's games that we lose, and it's okay. At the end of the day, like I said, we're not playing for the World Cup yet, right? Most of these players, you know, um, like I said, they have high, high hopes and high ex- expectations. And um, like I said, our biggest thing is just making sure that we're implementing the, the proper, um, training and, in, in, in scenarios and in, in games, um, where they're able to execute. Um, obviously there's different situational things that happen that we can't necessarily control. Um, but it's something that we do talk about afterwards. If, if it's, you know, a misjudged ball, if it's, you know, two players stepping to the same ball, it's something that we do teach and talk about but like i said there's in the middle of the game how are you fixing it you're not going to be able to give them a full coaching uh lesson plan inside of the game so what what do you tell the the parents and players about the game like like i'll give you an example like i i would i would always focus my my thoughts on development in a game i think the game is crucial because if you can get real touches in a game where there's a referee and there's competition and you can have success there or at least experience failure so you can get closer to success and be okay with that, um, always constantly talk to the parents and players about it. It's a simple math formula. When, when you have the ball, move the ball quickly as possible so everyone can get touches on the ball so everyone can feel comfortable and have that experience of, of having the ball in a game environment, not really – worried about, you know, depending on where they're at, tactics, I, I, I would worry first, can everyone get the ball? Can everyone, you know, have experience on the ball, get touches on the ball? We would record stats, how many how many touches they would have in game, how many successful, successful passes they had to their team, and then we would elevate it to, like, directional passes where uh, how many forward passes did they have and, you know, that were successful and, and, and a bunch of those things. So what do you do to kind of get the parents and kids to understand because soccer's strange. Stats aren't available, you know, as much as we'd like, like basketball, baseball, where you, you know, there's so many elements to it that they can record. Um, how do you get them to understand it's okay to pass the ball backwards? It's, you know, and not worry about, oh no, we got intercepted and we got scored on. I mean, how, how do you get them to understand uh, the repetition of successes within the game? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, we talk about, like I said, you, you made a great point of, like, you want every kid to get touches on the ball and stuff like that. And now we talk about the Luis Dabo method, right? How many touches can you get inside of that box under pressure with 100 kids inside of a 30 by 30 box? That's what makes the player in the game successful, right? But, you know, trying to, you know, going back to, you know, what do we do in a game and, and trying to talk to, you know, parents and players that it's okay to pass back it's okay to make mistakes um, so on and so forth it's it's a lot of just parent education it's making sure that they understand you know 
that it's okay and their kid will make a mistake. Um, like I said, I think that's really the most important part at the end of the day is, is the educating of the parents and, and letting them know what your expectations are as, as a coach, you know, what's the team's expectations and so on and so forth. Now it, you actually always, I don't know what the right answer is and maybe there is no right answer, but I, I remember watching the 76s play in the national final at Rose Mofford and seven, were you there or how old were you? You're probably, no, I wasn't. I, I don't think I was. You're young. The yeah. There were 7,000 people at Rose Mofford. ESPN was there. They brought in all the stands. I'm like, what the flip is this? And I remember watching Evan Whitfield, Pablo Mastroni, and their ability to keep the ball, spin, turn, and avoid pressure and just connect, connect, connect. And it just it was easy. And I think there's something to do with, you know, putting that effort in into those tight areas, just like go, go, go. And and implement. I, I wasn't familiar with if you hit someone, you're having push-ups or something like that. But to always being aware of tight spaces, avoiding people. Um, so when you got into a game, you're so comfortable with the ball. You're so used to escaping pressure that it's easy to see passes. It just makes you know things so much easier. And maybe maybe that's the case. What do you think? A hundred percent. I mean, I think all those touches inside of a tight space inside of that box that, you know, coach Dabo implemented. I mean, it, it made you have your head up so that you didn't run into somebody. Cause if you ran into somebody, 10 pushups, 20 pushups, depending on the day. So making sure that you have your head up and you're comfortable with the ball at that times allows you to see the next decision on the field. So, yeah, it, it's hard to see all the effort you put in into things. I mean, so many moves I would teach, you know, simple pullback, roll and go. And I would tell the kids, I'm like, you're not going to really be able to implement this for like six to eight months if you're willing to put in the work. And it typically would take that long. I, I have a question, but this is more into the golden chance, but I like answering questions and always see if I can get this where I can actually read it. It's kind of small. Um, well, Good luck reading that. I'll read it from here. What's the best route to trying out for the golden ticket? I think it was golden chance. Uh, the website says ages 16 to 22. I saw you had some 2010s. Uh, would have registered my son if I know that. The So the, the, the Wolves came over here and did the gold chance, and that was ages 16 to 22 to be able to go to this uh, tournament in North Carolina. The the younger ones, it was part of Football Lido. They were offering an ID camp for Football Lido to be able to kind of have training, you know, that was free, you know. Yeah. So I can speak on that a yeah, little bit. Yeah, can Dave. you? Yeah. So um, the Golden Chance was, you know, Wolverhampton, uh, the Wolves were here and they were looking to identify a couple of players because they're going to play in the TST tournament, which is in North Carolina. It's a million dollar seven versus seven tournament. Um, and I believe one of your former players, you know, ended up going. The the goalkeeper was Chino. Yeah, Chino. Chino ended up going. But, like I said, also, like I said, our our club now has a, a relationship and a partnership with Wolverhampton. Playmaker Football Academy does, and so does FBSL and Tuzos. So us together, we, we create FBSL. But what they were doing here is not only looking at the golden chance, uh, players to take over at 16 to 22, but they were looking to start to identify players from the 2011 age group and a little bit older so that they can start evaluating if, if that's a potential to possibly take them overseas to, to have the opportunity. So was that open to everybody or only uh, the football leader playmakers? Um, I believe it was only open to, to the FBSL groups, which okay. is, like I said, ourselves and Tuzos and yeah. Spartans, I believe. So that explains that they didn't really market that. That was just within that organization. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you for clarifying. I just was hosting it here. But that was uh, – we have actually have two going to North Carolina because Gabriel won it last year, and yes. he was the player of the year um, for the ACCAC with us at Phoenix College. And now he's going over there. So, um, <laughs> sorry, meant golden chance. I suffer when I text. Yeah, uh, same here. Um, but uh, golden ticket sounds, that's Willy Wonka. <laughs> um, but um, 
yeah, that that's a cool event, and, and we're excited about having them next year. Uh, hopefully, they keep coming back year to year. And there, I think they may be taking some players into next spring. They're kind of working that out. Not sure. Yeah, they're they're looking right now. So um, so our partnership has them, you know, coming out three times a year to evaluate players but to start formulating certain age groups to, to be able to go over there and almost create a, um, a team of, let's say, 2009s or 2010s or 2011s to potentially go to England to actually get games against their academy teams um, and then have the opportunity to play some, some local, local league teams because I think I believe that they're really close to like Aston Villa and, and some other places. So um, that's just kind of the relationship that we have right now. So we, we had the chance, uh, you know, kind of staying with Wolverhampton right now. Uh, they did coach education here at the college that uh, you and I both participated in. Uh, what did you uh, what did you enjoy the most uh, about that class? I love the fact that it was small yeah. and it was very intimate. Um, what did you get out of it? I mean, it's nice to see, um, like I said, di- the differences between like what we do, like I said, at Playmaker versus what – you know, Wolverhampton does at, at their club and their academy. And like I said, it, it's it helps us to start developing a, you know, curriculum, right, or a, a plan of attack to start getting our players to to that next level, right? And I believe that it's so important to have this education um, coming in, um, but it allows us to kind of see the differences and in, in how do you, how do you implement it into an American system versus a European system or, a, you know, an English system that they have there? Um, I think that's, that's, it's interesting to see more than anything. Yeah. The, it's, um, it's definitely different over there. I mean, it, it's a real, um, they see players differently than we see them. We, they see players as dollar signs because if they can find those players that are, of a certain level, they'll, they'll sign them. They don't pay, but they know they're, they have a chance. They can sell one player, can change a whole club. And uh, that's why we, we have a little more difficult here because we don't see, we see all, all players as just minimal dollars to come into the organization versus imagine if you had a Neymar and Neymar funds Santos forever <laughs> right now because he keeps, uh, moving those transfer fees are huge yeah. for those organizations. So, um, so your goal is uh, obviously develop players. So we in the coaching class we discuss a little bit about you know what's your what's your your mission statement, what's your um, what's your identity, you know, kind of like what do you believe? So w- since you recently kind of had to share that, can you share that with our audience here? Kind of like what's your vision of playmakers and um, what, what are you trying to do with your, your club? Yeah. uh, I mean, our mission is to, to create an unsurpassed uh, player developmental program. Um, Like I said here, not just here in the Arizona, but in the United States, I think that's our, our main mission is to, um, see kids moving on like i said uh, like i mentioned in the in our our, you know class before i think there's so many different every kid has a different goal in life right some want to play high school some just want to go to college but there's a lot that want to go to pro and like i said our goal is to to train them at the highest level possible so even if they want to go to high school they're trained at the same level that a professional would so that's why we do the louis dabo methodology right or the four to five days a week that we talk about is because that's what our main objective is. I mean, to, to start sending players overseas and to have the opportunities um, that they that they want. Let's speak a little bit about uh, the Benefica Academy. What, uh, how long were you there, and what was the experience like? Oh, man. I mean, like I said, the, the experience was, was unbelievable. I couldn't believe I got to do that at such a young age. I was 15 and a half years old when when I left here to, to go and play in the academy over there. Um, I was there for about three years. Um, like I said, I actually was found in, in the Tuzos Challenge Tournament here in Arizona, Rose Mofford, Field 3. Really? Cra- crazy story, right? So 
um, I'll go I'll go backwards before I go forwards about the academy is that so I was playing for Santos at the time, and like I told you b- before, I, I didn't have an age group to play with at Santos during that period of time. And um, I actually ended up playing, I believe it was 90s or 91s. I was playing with the with the team. And I ended up scoring three goals in this game in, in the Tuzos Challenge Tournament um, and just happened to be that the, the Benefica head scout or head youth scout was there at the time um, and just watching the game because he was friends with, with Luis Dabo. And I don't know if it was set up or anything of the sort. So game whistle like finishes. I don't know anything that's happening, right? I'm 15 years old. And a uh, guy comes up to me and says, where's your parents at? I'm like, I'm pointing over there. I'm like, there's my dad. I don't know who you are, right? And um, then from there, you know, Luis Dabo and, and, and my father, you know, and my mother obviously figured out a, the, the pathway for me to, to start going. And, and I don't know if you guys know this, but I, I am a, a Romanian citizen at the time. I, I, am, I hold dual passports as well. So it was a little bit easier for me to go and stay in the academy over there. Um, so like I said, halfway, I was about to start my junior year here in Arizona, uh, of high school, but instead, uh, I, I took off and went to the Academy. How'd you do your schooling from there? Was it online or how'd you do it? Yes. Yeah, so actually I, I went through, um, everyone thinks that online is the answer right now. It was back then as well. And that was in 2007 or 2008 when I went, no, 2008 or nine, I did Primavera online high school. Okay, and, and so I, I graduated with with a diploma, not a GED, a diploma from the school. I actually graduated six months earlier than my class, um, and I was able to complete school uh, in the academy. And I was training two times a day, and everything. Did you get homesick or anything? What was that like? Fifteen. Yeah. That's yeah. young. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I think the there's always that that uh, that feeling of homesickness when when you're not with your parents, especially at a young age, but ultimately that was the the thing that you have to conquer the mental capacity that that it takes and the sacrifice it takes because my parents sacrificed for me to be there right to leave you know to let their child leave at such a young age but also it's the same thing as you're trying to make a name for yourself and for your family to to have the opportunity and not to let them down at the same time um, is, is was super important to me so obviously yes I did miss my family so much but at the same time, I knew that the the goal for myself was higher than that. Did you come home in the summer, or what was the schedule like? Um, I did not come home for. I think the first time I came home, I think I came home. I think after a year and a half was the first time. Oh, geez. Yeah, and then um, like I said it. So I got to come home once, and then my mother came to visit me once. While I was there in the three years, um, and then, like I said, I think I got to go home a total of like three times during that time frame, maybe, maybe three times to to see my mom and dad. But uh, like I said, it was a it was a pretty wild journey. So, what describe your day there? So you, you train twice a day. Yeah. Like, so. how long were they? What time frames? Yeah. So uh, a typical you know session you know was you wake up in the morning, you have breakfast at seven. Seven to eight o'clock, you you know eight o'clock you're you're done. You go down to the locker room, and you know they have you know a, a like equipment manager. So you go grab your kit, you suit up. You're on the field by eight thirty or eight thirty to, um, like I said, ten thirty on the field. Um, then you'd finish. You know you'd put your stuff in the basket. You'd shower. You'd go up and you have a, a little bit of downtime. Um, during that downtime is typically when I did my schooling online. Um, then you would go eat lunch and then right after lunch you would have like a, a small window so in in Portugal um, what they do is they, they have like a little siesta time so from one to like three o'clock they everything shuts down markets everything uh, restaurants for the most part um, so that would be a little bit of downtime and then you come back right around 3 30 and then you train until about five then same thing you'd go shower eat dinner and that was your day and that that was five days a week. How many, how many games did you play? How, how'd that work? Yeah. So games were typically every Saturdays. They only had pretty much one, one. week. Okay. Yeah. One did, week. did you go watch games? Um, so because of the academy, the academy had like, what? I don't know, like 10, eight fields. 
something like that. So we were able to watch the different age groups. So actually during my time at the academy, I was actually, I was living, this is a crazy story. I was, uh, I was living with Di Maria and Fabio Quentrao at the time. They were actually on the reserve squad of Benfica and they were just making their debuts into the first team during that time frame. But also on my team at that time was Andre Gomez that I believe, I, I'm not sure where he's playing now. He might be in Everton still. Um, but like I said, he was in Barca, he was in Valencia. Now he's, you know, he was in Everton for a little bit. And then also Daniello Pereira, which is at PSG. Did you stay in contact with any of them? No, unfortunately, it, no. Was it a language barrier, like, to be able to communicate with a lot of them? Yes, 100%. I think that was the one of the biggest things that I... I struggled with while I was there was that was the language barrier um, because like I said it was harder to make friends um, there because most of the the players that came in were from uh, Portugal or they were from uh, Portuguese colonies like Guinea-Bissau, Senegal, um, all these different places where they only spoke really Portuguese and, and English wasn't the primary so um, like I said when I was there in order to kind of fit in and, and to talk to people um, I had adopted Spanish here uh, in Arizona, I, I went to school. I was pretty advanced in Spanish, but also by playing with Santos, I was, you know, one of the only Caucasian kids out there at the time. So like I said, I kind of adopted, um, you know, speaking Spanish while I was there to try to get by. Right. Because the coaches didn't speak English. Like I said majority of didn't. <laughs> so you're uh, just kind did, of watching. <laughs> did the coaches ever get frustrated with you because you understand what they're saying? Yeah, but like I said, I, I think it's something that you have to be very mindful of and, and very concentrated in training sessions to understand that like you're not going to be the first person that's going to go through the exercise or the drill. You're probably the second or the third, right? So that you can see or you're like, okay, well, if that guy passes to the right and he's going to follow his pass, well, well I'm going to do the same exact thing. Right. So you have to be very mindful and concentrated and focus on what the actually is happening in the exercise where here is, you know, everyone speaks the language and they're just like, oh, OK, they don't necessarily the kids don't necessarily have to pay attention as much. But over there, you have to be locked in at all times. Otherwise, you know, you're going to get an earful, even though you don't know what they're saying. But still, at the same time, you, 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 you don't want to mess up because you want to be suited up in that 18 man roster for the weekend. Right. And how many what do they call them, caps or whatever, did you get many opportunities to to uh, showcase your abilities on the top 18 or whatever it was? Yeah, like I said, it was a good experience. Like I said, I had a lot of opportunities. Like I said, I, I a lot of times I came off the bench. Um, like I said, I was, I was young, so I was 15 and a half, but I was playing under 19s at the time when I was there. That's where, who I was training with. So uh, the way that it works there versus here is they go by, it's like, uh, under 13s, under 15s, under 17s, under 19s, and then it goes into the reserve squad, which is, you know, it could be whoever, and then they have the first team. So I should have probably been with the under 17s at that time, but I, I was training and playing with the under 19s. Hmm. Well, that's, that's fascinating in, in a way. We, we have to take a quick pause for uh, my sponsor. That's not my sponsor. My eyes are so bad, it's hard to see. There it is, Boss Guy, looking to boost your business leads and sales with expert mar marketing automation. BotsGuy.com has you covered. They specialize in automating social media, email, SMS, and website tasks so you can focus on growth. Say goodbye to manual tasks and hello to increase efficiency, customer engagement, and revenue growth. Check out BotsGuy.com now to learn more. So you've been Playmakers four years. You're... Uh, tell me a little bit about year one and the difference from, you know, kind of getting it going to year four. What, what's the biggest difference? Oh, wow. Um, like I said, when we, when we first started, uh, like I said, Playmaker with year one, like I said, it was a, like I said, we could barely get people to, to even know who we were or anything of the sort that, you know, no one respected, you know, what we were doing. No one knew who we were. Um like I said, for us, it was hard to even draw kids into the program because they didn't believe that we would actually make it happen. So when we first started, we started with, um, I believe it was 12 players. Then it kind of word of mouth happened. So 
what ended up happening that first year. We went from 12 players to 24 players. So just two teams of 2009s is, is what we started with. And in that first year, we won, we won the state championship. One of those teams won the state championship in their first year. From your original group, yeah. Correct. And um, so after that happened, I think the word kind of got out what we were doing and, and who we were. Um, and now, you know, the second year there was, you know, a bunch of growth. And then now the, the third year was, there was a little bit of growth. But this, this next year or this year coming up, we actually had to turn teams away and players away. Um, from our program just to kind of keep the quality of what we're trying to do and accomplish. Um, and it's not because, like I said, we don't want kids to come in and, and train because we do. That's what our, our goal and mission is. But like I said, we, didn't have, we don't have enough staffing. That is what I believe is up to par in order to, to keep that quality up, to have you know, 10, 15 teams, whatever it is, right? We could have probably added 20 teams this year, but we turned them all down. But like right. I said, we want kids to come in and train and, and enjoy what they're doing as well. Yeah, you got to be careful how quickly you grow because before you know it, you won't have a club because everyone took over. How'd you come up with the name Playmakers? <laughs> I love the name. No, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, so um, when, when trying to, to figure out what to, to call it, like I said, I actually was doing private lessons. And um, like I said, that's kind of how I came up with the name is that what I've noticed in this this game that we have, and I'm sure that you probably have at the college level, is that you don't have those. It's hard to find a game changing player. So there's there's players that are good, right? And I'm sure that you have, you know, at Phoenix College, at Yavapai, at you know wherever it is, there's good players. But there's always that one that is a game changing player, and that's what I call the playmaker, right? And that's what you know, really hit me when I was thinking about what to call it was like, I'm, I'm looking to create playmakers. I want kids, whatever, whenever they leave our program to go to, you know, whatever MLS next or to pro or to college, I want them to be a game changing player in whatever environment that they step into and people to know, Oh, that guy came from playmaker football Academy. Yeah. That's, that's what Santos was. Santos was playmakers. Of course, They had, they had a lot of them and it's fascinating how many players have been developed because, like, I, I didn't really know you until Bo introduced me to you at 6v6. And it's just another flipping Santos player that, you know, I, I know you came from a bunch of clubs, but yeah. uh, they had, I think, the strongest influence on you. Um, well, I appreciate you, Julian, for being on the show. And uh, uh, best luck with Playmakers and uh, have great success. And I support Playmakers. I don't support many clubs. I usually sp support coaches, but anyone that has, you know, I, I'm a big fan of find a Brazilian <laughs> as a coach. Um, and in this case, find someone that's from the Luis Dabo um, uh, background. I think it's just, it's a different mindset of suffering the way that he had you guys suffer and the simplistic side of it and effort it takes as a coach. Cause you, you could, be a sellout and do twice a week and factory another twice. If Julian goes twice a week soccer and just starts funneling, uh, he's failed his uh, people uh, of the Santos organization, Luis Dabo and all of them, but it takes effort unless you can find a way to keep the kids playing, rotating four times a week uh, minimum. Um, I, I think that's, you're one of the few that are doing it, you know, so I uh, appreciate that. And that's why we have you on this show. So, Thank you so much. Best of luck uh, in all that you do, especially in the game of soccer. And uh, last, last thing to close out, I have another sponsor. This is my own sponsor. If I can find it. I had the overlay. Let's see if I have it here. I know. Uh, Futsal. There's four days or three days. Three days signed up. Um, sign up today. You can go to go.coachcameron.com. The money doesn't come to me. It comes to... The college, it goes to our 501c3 nonprofit MCCD uh, certified foundation. Uh, all the money goes to scholarships for the men's and women's soccer programs here at Phoenix College. Sign up today, $400, and uh, we will start up the first week of June. Three days left. Sign up. All right. Peace out. Thank you, Julian, and we'll see you, shoot, I don't know, 6v6.
Six Hopefully six. futsal. Exactly. Futsal. All right. And, and question for the futsal stuff yeah. is how many days a week is it and how many games do you get for that money? You get, you get eight games um, plus playoffs. And then um, so it's pretty much every Saturday. Uh, and then you have blackout dates. So we actually have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesdays you could play. Majority of the games are going to be Saturday. And then some will double up on Saturday and then some Sundays because of playoffs. So we'll, we'll figure it out. We're just trying to do the best job we can. Um, today we had open practice. We had like eight teams show up today just to see the location and everything. And we're going to open up a couple more free practice days uh, for people to get used to the venue. So anyways, appreciate it. And uh, I got to get, I got a lot of, pro- I need IT. If you like to do IT support here, um, you can, but be sure to like, subscribe to this podcast, especially YouTube. That's what I'm trying to grow. And you can find us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, or where, wherever else podcasts are found. We'll see you next Sunday, 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time with Callie um, Farguson. Is that how you say her name? Yep. Uh, she'll be on next Sunday. Um, it's already recorded because I'll be on a cruise, but uh, we'll be back next Sunday, 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. See you.